Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined tonight. This is very exciting uh, by a person who has hosted at least 5,000 more SportsCenter <laughs> episodes than we have. <laughs> Linda right. Cohn. Hi, Linda. Yay. How are you? Good Brian, to see you. Brian and Andy, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is past my bedtime. You know, when I don't host SportsCenter, I'm in. I'm sound asleep. I mean, you know, we're in Los Angeles, right? So, you know, we're hoping we got some West Coast viewers right now, but it's great to be with you and uh, let's have some fun. Well, let's just say right off the bat <laughs> how much tougher you are than Steve Mason, who is already <laughs> – Mason is already – he. Like, this is a very typical Mace thing. He keeps expressing interest in wanting to do this. Right. And, and he's been on with us before. But okay. he also wants everything to revolve around him. Because yes. as he keeps letting us know, 10 o'clock's really late for him. Like, yes. And we're, we're like, you know, Mace, we're asking, like, you to stay up till 11 <laughs> once every two and a half months. And this is apparently <laughs> a really big ask. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes, as you guys know, you get on a schedule. Uh, but me, I'm so used to it with like the decades in this business and I don't have to tell you, it's sort of like, you know, you just have to go with the flow and I'm not shocked. Any story you tell me about Mace, uh, I will <laughs> side with you two as sure. opposed to Mace, but we all love him and he's great, but he's yeah, I'm not shocked. He can't stay up late. Oh man. Yeah. No, this is it's like, does he actually steep. stay up to watch sporting events? I mean, is he one of those guys, you know, the guys that, you know. He doesn't. He's, he doesn't even have an excuse. Like he has to get up for an early, early morning radio show. No, you know, and he leaves at halftime. He's one of those guys. Like exactly. he'll show up to Staples Center to make sure everybody can see him. And then once he's been seen, he's like my our great grandmother he used to come home and tell my mom, "Guess who saw me today?" And that's what <laughs> Steve, that's what Steve does. And he, so he leaves at halftime, make yeah. sure he's seen. I think he stays up to watch Dodger games. But other than that, yes, he will. He will stay up to watch a Dodger game, and I think he'll stay. He'll stay up late enough that I think he can fake it with a Laker game. The rest of these games, I promise, if they conclude after 7 o'clock, Mace is lying the entire time he's on air. He's not seen this thing. He yeah, has that, no idea. I frown upon that. I know you did. <laughs> I, I know you gave a little asterisk to, well, he does stay up for Dodger games. But, you know, it, there's no excuse. Either you're in or you're out. You can't be half-assed. I, we agree. We absolutely agree. Um, I we, think I think any show that opens with this much Steve Mason slander is off to an excellent start. <laughs> um, we do have so much that we want to talk about tonight because uh, not Begin, only beginning you know, with a light over my head. It, we, should we start there? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was like, you know, this is the only place I do these kind of interviews. God forbid I move this chair. Not. Not to tell everybody that it's, you know, I, I know what I'm doing with lighting. Obviously, I don't. But the, <laughs> point, but the point is, that just comes with the apartment. There's this glowing light that helps me in the dark. But right now, it's it's probably a bit distracting. No, we love it. Like we were talking about before the show started. You, it, it seems like you're just a fountain of ideas. <laughs> And like we're just seeing your thought bubbles and you know i mean yes. every, everybody knows you i mean you've been doing this for a long time you're one of the more recognizable faces and names in this industry which means you've stored a lot of wisdom and that wisdom is represented in those light bulbs continually going off above your head i mean if it just it just makes you look wiser if that's even possible if you say so i'll go with that as well <laughs> it's, it's one explanation <laughs> okay i'll take it so <laughs> The other is move your desk. <laughs> that would be a smart. I why, why do that? You know, nah, 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 like it's nah. good. It's Just, good. I'm not about moving things. That's the thing with me. That's one of like my pet peeves. Like I don't care. Like if you would see my apartment, I'm not one of those women that love decorating. All right. It's like you know. The bottom line is this: that you know, I, and I spend time. As we all know, we spend time in our homes now. In case oh, yeah. you've heard. <laughs> Um, but I'm just, that's just not my strength. You know, it's just like, I'm here with my dog, my dog, my, the couch is my, my dogs, you know, she sits on it. There's a little like thing, foot thing. She's got that too. I mean, what's the point? If I start moving things around, I mean, I'll bump I, into it and, you know, it's just not a good look. I mean, when, when you <laughs> like a blind you, person, you've right, lived a certain exactly. way for a certain well, amount of time. I am nearsighted in that, you know, <laughs> there, I'm halfway there too. When you moved in, was everything that we see behind you already there? Or Great like, call. Or that, well, I know the light. Decorating? 
I didn't carry the <laughs> light bulb above me wherever I walk. I know that. That was part of the ceiling. Uh, and the kitchen came with it. And as a matter of fact, the, the owner of the unit, um, you know, when I decided to rent um, from her, uh, they, they, they did a whole redecorated uh, situation with this apartment. And how do I know that? Like, yeah, she told me. But other people in the apartment building saying, man, Linda, you should have seen this place before you got there, before that woman bought it. It was a disaster area. They redid everything. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. God knows what it looked like, you know. But it's beautiful now. And it has a lovely view. A very reassuring version of Cribs right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> I, I feel better now knowing that they like, took care did of like you. Neil Everett lived there before and just I, trashed the place? I mean, what happened? You know, Neil, like myself, is very beachy. You know, he, he is, you know, I think he's lived in Santa Monica, Venice. I mean, I can't keep track. Neil's the best. It uh, seems like know. Neil. Like, I feel like yeah. I feel like you know Venice place like they feel yes. they feel like Neil. Yes, so like, good, so grateful, deadish. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, and I nothing against <laughs> nothing against the area about no. to name. I, I enjoy it, but like, I don't picture Neil and Reseda. Like, he uh, just doesn't seem like a Reseda type. Neil ever. He, he would tell you that. Yeah, he, and I mean, yeah. I got I I've got a you know very very good friend uh, who lives in Reseda. I've got a few friends who live out there. All I'm right. not I'm not bagging on the valley. I'm just saying that's not Neil's vibe. It's too far away. I mean, it's yeah. far away from everything. I mean, if you want to raise a family, it's wonderful. But I mean, it, I just do far away from existence. And speaking of Neil, I got to tell you something. You know, I told you guys, I think before, you know, besides sports, which I love, I, you know, I grew up as a kid loving uh, music, like classic rock, pop music, you know, whatever. Uh, and I'm going to be dating myself throughout this whole thing. But then again, anyone can just Google and see how old I am. So Neil, who's a few years younger than me, just a couple, I think. But we we're on the set. We're doing a three hour sports center on Saturday night. I mean, it was all college football, obviously, which is great. I love college football. And um, but the point is, we had a break and uh, I take out Spotify, which is on my phone, of course. Yeah. And um, he said something. Oh, I got it. He he there was some highlight or something. And then what comes to mind me lyrics of a Grand Funk Railroad song. And it went like, I'm getting closer to my whatever. And it's actually called the captain slash. Yeah, yes. Right. So yeah. I start singing that during the break. And I'm like, Neil, because Neil loves like Neil Young. He likes, you know, the dead. He likes different things you know some country chris stapleton of country music fame so i'm bringing out this classic rock stuff and i said as a matter and then it, it went from grand funk railroad to educate neil on that and i said this song by grand funk railroad I, I went into like this whole thing but that's not my favorite song neil even though the lyrics i was singing it you know bad time which is my favorite grand funk railroad song and i started playing it on spotify during commercial and then as I'm trying to shut it off and the producer is talking to us and we're about to go on, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I don't think I could shut it off. Bad time by Grand Funk Railroad and we're going back on the air. These are the moments that I share with Neil and it's always about music. I just, side, I'm, just side impre note. I'm impressed that you have an array of great. Most people can go to one or two Grand Funk Railroad songs, but not necessarily. <laughs> I'm not even sure the members of Grand Funk Railroad at this point can go well, to multiple Grand Funk Railroad songs. It's funny you brought that up because Neil, this is what's so amazing. Neil goes into the story about he was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, for some golf event or something he was hosting uh, for charity, of course. And he invited me. I was supposed to go with him this year, but of course this pandemic hit and it was canceled. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He said, "No, unfortunately, he, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's He's literally it's everything everywhere. is neither here nor there anymore. Right. Exactly. So anyway, we can all relate. So he, Neil goes into this whole song and dance about, hey, I was in Coeur d'Alene for that event I you were supposed to go to with me, and I was at the bar. Shocking." Okay, he was at the bar and he turned to look at some guy and he recognized the lead singer of Grand Funk Railroad. So, yeah, I know lyrics off the top of my head. This guy, Neil Everett, can recognize a now 74-year-old man who is like the lead singer of Grand Funk Railroad. That, my friends, is I mean, Neil Everett. 
if That's you gave me a lineup of people and said they're all in Grand Funk Railroad, <laughs> I still couldn't pick them out. There is no Wave way. Says, Hi, I am the lead singer of Grand Funk. Right. I'm sorry, I don't know which one it is. I can't. I can't pick I it out. I couldn't either. I swear, I can name songs. I can't pick anybody out of a lineup. So sure. this this question comes from one of our our regulars who watches the show from New Zealand and may not mm. be totally up on on American Grand Funk Railroad. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> what is what is Linda's accent? And, oh, and of that's course, a good one. Not everyone knows this about you. Uh, I'm not sure who are these people, but uh, you are you are of Long Island. Yes, it's and a Long Island that. Accent. So my wife was born on Long Island, and every oh. time we talk to anybody from Long, <laughs> from Long Island, I always say, I always look, look up where they're from. And you, of course, are the pride of, of Newfield High School, I believe. Right, which was on the borderline of Selden and Center Reach. And I yeah. lived in a place called Corum. And it was all just this little trifecta within like a couple of miles from each right. other. Right off there, right off there on, on County Road 97. Nice. Um, and you know, we do our research here at the nice. Late Night Happy Hour. Very nice. But, so I asked my wife, I said, is, is that near you? And I just assume every, you know, I don't know. Um, and she says, oh no, that's Suffolk County. And, and right. so what she said was, I always thought, because she's from Merrick uh, in Nassau okay. County. Of course. And she always said, she said, I always thought of that as the country. So, so did you grow up in the country? Is that yes, there were, there were a, a lot of wildlife. There were cows. <laughs> there were chickens. There were roosters. There were potatoes being grown in Riverhead, which is like on the tip. But it's, you know, it's funny. It's no offense to your wife. And Merrick is a lovely place. But it's like a hop, skip and a jump from New York City. That part of Long Island is very, just so close to New York City. You just hop on the Long Island Railroad. Mm -hmm. You go 20 minutes. You're there. Me... Two hours. I mean, my dad and I, when my dad won season tickets, side note, sports, my dad won season tickets. Um, it was a raffle. It was for charity. He won season tickets to the Jets. My father didn't care about the Jets. We were Giant fans. And of course, I'm a Giant fan to this day because of my late great dad. But that was not part of the winnings. You could win Ranger tickets. So he traded with a Jet guy. The Ranger, he got the Ranger tickets, big win, big deal, great. So we, out in Suffolk County, like your wife has pointed out, in farmland country, <laughs> to get to Madison Square Garden, we'd have to take a two-hour train ride there wow. and back. Okay, so it is, it is further away. It's far, and we did that a lot of these games. That's how, you know, the you know, and again, priceless memories with my dad, by the way, doing that, um, you know, sitting on a train falling asleep on the way home, but going to Ranger games with him. And, and that was all, that was pretty cool. But that gave you a little paint of the picture of how yeah. far that you was to know, civilization. You should know I've got, I'm in trouble now because she can, she just texted me from, from upstairs. I hear you making fun of me. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh so she's not watching. She's just, no, she's not watching. You. She she's can just hear me. hearing you mentioning her name. No, neither of our, <laughs> neither of our wives watch. They, they lost interest Stunning. in what we do a lot time ago <laughs> yeah how long did that take what uh, about, about 20 then, minutes okay. that were that works under the assumption that they ever had interest in what we do <laughs> that's great yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things too like my my wife is act like brian's wife is not a particularly big sports fan my wife okay. actually is nice. but even as somebody who is a really big sports fan like they they've come to realize like if you are in this industry, sports never stop. Right. And like you really start gauging an idea of man, these like these games take a while. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that go on during these games yes. that we can't get to because we're in the middle of watching something. And you know, there's a lot of wow, there's there's another game. Huh. Yeah, and it is funny you bring that up because people who do not grow up with sports, who are not emotionally connected to sports have favorite teams growing up, which we keep, which I have referred to, um, I get it. How, why would they waste four hours in one place just to finish what they start? It's a waste of a life. But we yeah. do this for a living. Um, and many of us are have emotional connections. So God forbid we walked away or didn't finish it. It was, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's awful. It's like you're letting down everyone. You know, you just... It just doesn't seem right. It's a gut feeling I have. So I can't do that. I mean, I'm watching, you know, Jets Patriots, for God's sake. I mean, what, what's going on? And I'm off. 
I don't have yeah, to watch Jets that was a Patriots. terrible football game. I mean, you know, Joe Flacco had his moments. Can I can I just tell you something? Okay. I've gotten into in a fun way, nothing serious. I'm not a degenerate, but legalized fun gambling. And uh, I put a very small amount. I mean, uh, I, but I can promise I can promise you I'm not judging. $75,000, just no, a little no, bit, just no, something, no, I, just a little listen, taste. You think I would Six be game sitting here talking with you after I listen, I started, I, no, now it's really like, you know, I, listen, I'm a mother. I have to set a good, you know, kind of, they're grown children, but they, you know, so they won't worry about me. But I'll give you an example. This game was so boring going in. Of course I did the usual parlay. Oh, you got to pick the under. But that wasn't enough to win anything. So, of course, I pick, I picked the Jets plus 10. So, yay. But I did it with a parlay under. For, you know, the total was 42.5. And who knew Joe Flacco would be Joe Flacco Super Bowl MVP tonight? Except for the one interception, which I did a prop bet on, that he was not going to throw an interception. And he throws his one interception with six minutes to go in the game. There's it's, a lot of layers to that. This, this yes. bet, Linda, you know, it was just this, this that, little that thing that you just said. Tough, this, right? this, this, it Top seems like the kind of thing that at the very least took about 15 minutes to get in because you know, <laughs> it has a lot of layers to it. It, really, it is kind of frightening that I, like, two months, you know, I blame the pandemic, the virus for this. I mean, I know it's a serious thing. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But all this time on my hands and then when sports came back and, you know, you had us, you know, spice it up some way. And that was the way I did it. And now how I is, can't stop doing it. How has covering sports for as long as you've done it impacted the way you you love sports, love your teams? Because I know it's changed it for me, but I'm wondering what impact it's had for you. How about if I interview you? How has it changed for you? But I will answer that question. But how has it changed for you? I, I'm, I'm. Well, granted, you're I mean, jaded? It I, don't tell me you're jaded. It's not now. so much that I'm jaded. I mean, you do learn sort of what goes on behind the curtain. But I mean, you could always assume it's as true of any profession. I, I am less into teams now mm. than I am people. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like you know, and I, I'm, I'm a little too far away from. You know the the Cardinals and we Andy and I grew up in St. Louis, so the Cardinals nice. and the Blues. Although I am wearing my Ozzy Smith uh, throwback T-shirt tonight, very um, impressive. And I have my Blues hat somewhere, so I have all my gear. And nice. I was really excited when the Blues won the cup and all that stuff. But I, I, it's you know the kids are when the Blues are playing, I'm like getting the kids to bed and all that kind of stuff. It just yeah. doesn't work. I can't see as much. Yep. But I, I just find that I root for people and and stories more yep. than I root for teams now. That's the biggest impact for me. I still love sports. I just watch them differently. I get that. Um, I definitely see your point, and I feel that way as well, especially in the last decade of me doing this. It's uh, actually probably longer than that, where it is about relationships that you make along the way and interviews you do with certain players that aren't on your team. Um, and also I have learned maybe there are some players that are on teams that I love growing up that I particularly don't like those players. And so I had to like, wait a minute. Uh, I, I felt myself rooting against at times the teams I grew up loving. So there has been a different, you know, that doesn't happen often, but there are moments where that does happen. Like, uh, and also when you have a favorite player now and he goes to another team, I'm great with that because I want that person's happiness. This sounds like a soap opera when I'm talking about this, but it's really true. I mean, you know, two of my favorites, okay? I'm a New York girl, right? So two of my favorites, uh, obviously, Eli Manning, okay? And uh, Henrik Lundqvist. But let's talk Eli Manning, who was forced to retire before he was ready. Now he says all the right things, but I, am, I always kid, I'm president of the Eli Manning fan club, and I'm an Eli apologist for life because he got me two Super Bowls I never thought he would get me. You know, I know the Giants won a couple more before that, but these were improbable, unexpected. We all know it's well-documented against how he beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. More he beat Bill Belichick, actually, by the way, because Tom doesn't play against Eli. But the point is, I was really down on that franchise. I thought, you know, why are you rushing this Daniel Jones in there? So I was very against Daniel Jones, and I'm still not sure he's a big-time quarterback, although he's a nice person. I'm not here to rip Daniel Jones, but this was all about Eli, and he was part of my family. He doesn't know that. He probably doesn't <laughs> know I'm president of his fan club or an Eli apologist. I should have that on my, you know, Instagram bio. But you know, that's another. That's one example. And another example, 
Henrik Lundqvist, 15 years goaltender, face of the franchise, New York Rangers, great human, unbelievable person, uh, goes to the Washington Capitals. It's exactly where I wanted him to go. Why? Because I want him to win a Stanley Cup because I know he's not going to win it with the Rangers because they're still in a rebuilding mode. So these are the kind of examples where I've changed. Like I realized I'm not 16 years old anymore where I'm rooting for the sweater unconditionally or the uniform unconditionally. No, I'm rooting for certain players that have touched me in a way that have really filled, you know, filled the void as a sports fan and brought me joy. Um, and I look at just the joy, by the way. I don't look at the bad games. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm really actually, wondering why you keep inviting him for Thanksgiving. <laughs> he doesn't answer my invites. <laughs> he does, though, keep sending restraining orders. <laughs> I keep liking his tweets. The sports <laughs> lady is after me again. Blocking me on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> like, he keeps recognizing all these burners that I'm using. There it is. <laughs> There it is. Anything. The guy wins Super Bowls. What can I say? It is an interesting thing, though, when, like, you start getting to know certain athletes more, being around them more. Like, for example, you know, I've been in L.A. a long time, and I've been here the entirety of Kobe's career. Nice. But, you know, and, and that was amazing to watch, like, that type of career from start to finish. And, like, you know, Brian yeah. and I, you know, have covered the Lakers for a long time. Yeah. But I became a Laker fan living out here before I was doing this job. So, I, you know, I had been following everything. Right. That, that's I, a great example. That's a and, great example. Yep. And it, it does become different when you're, when you're interacting with that person as an actual person. But Kobe's also part of my professional life. And I have to try to figure out, you know, what's the best way to cover him I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, honestly, but at, but at the same time, you know, you admire what he's doing. There are times where you're watching this and you can't help but become a fan again because what he's doing is amazing for a team that at the end of the day, I am wired to care about. I am wired to root for the Lakers to win right. because I was doing that well before. But like, for example, when, when you know, Kobe's you know, tragic passing earlier in the year it really dawned on me in ways that i in ways that i knew but it, i i hadn't really thought about it before just how much of my professional life was directly connected to kobe like i i really hadn't thought about it before like just how much of what i've done in this industry really is either directly or tangentially related to Kobe. Yeah. And and it's it's an interesting thing to come to that realization. I, I wish it was under much better circumstances. Yeah. But yeah. you start to realize, you know, when it comes to the teams that you cover, the athletes that you cover, and, you know, in the cases of the guys who become icons and stuff like that, just how much you really are connected on a lot of different levels to them. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, that's so well put. And that's part of the thing that I was saying when you're covering someone like I, you know, let's take the Rangers team that went to the cup final in 2014, who lost to the LA Kings, by the way. Um, that was I, epic. Yes, that was not epic. I was well, here it was. It's not in a good way. I went to the <laughs> game. For I, I was doing pre and post game on the radio for the Rangers all that year and the year before. So I, you know, I became close to that core group. And uh, did some traveling as well uh, with them. And it's just, I totally get it. You know, you, you still, you, here's the thing, guys. You can still be professional. Yeah. But you're human. And it's okay. And I think that's where it's changed over the years, you know, mm -hmm. where I think it's okay to have, you know, uh, relationships with these people, meaning, you know, professional relationships to um and that because you want to earn their trust you know when i first started on sports center many moons ago it was july of 1992 and there was so many things that you know i was just trying to you know i don't want to say fit in because i always believed i could um and i and i always i always believed in myself but when i start go went to when they had the early espies you know back in the day then mm -hmm. right and they were in new york city which was very cool because it was on a very smaller scale it was at Radio City Music Hall, and it was events like that, or if I would go to celebrity golf tournaments and meet athletes there as well, and they would come up to me 
and they would say, you know, positive things about my work on SportsCenter. And that meant everything to me. There are two major things that I knew I was in the right place at the right time and that I was doing the right thing for my career. When athletes, when guy, like I remember Shaq, I did a sit down interview with Shaq. And of course he had to be sitting down because I'm tiny and he's big. So, but I mean, you know, back in the day in the height of Laker and Kobe, you know, Laker, you know, Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. But my point is this, when he would say really complimentary things about me, they don't have to do that. Then I knew, okay, I must be doing a good job if athletes are saying this. You gotta think about this. This was like a long time ago, okay? This was like, in case of Shaq, you know, it was 2000, probably around that time, 2000, something like that. Others before that saying things, you know, here I'm a woman in a man's world. And, you know, as you guys know, I mean, you would, you, you can understand me clinging to every pot, no social media, you know, clinging to every positive. Uh, the other thing is when the average sports fan would come up to me and say, you know, I never took sports from a woman before you. And they always would preface it with, take this as a compliment. And I knew what they were gonna say. <laughs> and, I, and that's what they said. They go, you know, I never took sports from a woman before you. And that's, that's a compliment. And I'm like, I get it. That is a compliment. Thank you. You know, thank, you know what it I mean? Thank it's you. It's not necessarily a compliment about themselves in certain ways in terms of how they may have been unwilling to see that before. But at the same time, if they're willing to have their eyes opened, you know, if they're willing to become more open minded, then then ultimately it is a sign of them evolving. Or was you it know, a, did it initially did, did that feel like a compliment, though? Uh, you know what? Um, when they prefaced it with take this as a compliment, <laughs> right? Then I took it as a compliment. But it's a good question you asked. But no, I really did. Listen, I, I think it's brave at that time for guys to come up to me and say these things. And, you know, it's an interesting and, way of looking at it. I, and that and I, I always like I said, I cling I hung on to any positive and I took it that way. Um, because you know, at ESPN, they don't give feedback by the way, <laughs> you know, so you know, learned. I had no idea. Yeah, right. or, uh, you you, you get your feedback by feedback. finding out if yeah. you still work there. That's, right. <laughs> That's how exactly. we've done it. Oh yeah. I mean, I could tell you a classic story about that, which you guys probably can relate to. Um, and you know, we're kidding around, but obviously, you know, what happened to you guys and then mm -hmm. so many 300 people. Today, like, oh, yeah, you know, sure. yeah. It was just it was awful. Yeah. It's just great. It's just, it's awful. But, um, it was. Let's see. Let's get the time right. It was. It was. I know what year it was because it was. The, it was the year the Rangers won a Stanley Cup in my lifetime, which was 1994. So that whole year, I was the happiest person every day of my life. But it was. Before, it was during the postseason run. It was in the spring, and I remember the two bosses at the time, John Walsh and Steve Anderson, and I was at ESPN for just two years, maybe less, and uh, my contract was coming up. But they had an option right? To pick up another year or two. So it was coming up that option. They called me into their office. They said, after you do the six o'clock PM sports center Eastern with Charlie Steiner. And it was the night that it was a game seven of the conference final, which turned out to be an instant classic double overtime Rangers devils. Okay. So first of all, I wasn't happy that I had to stay later for this meeting because I wanted to go home and watch mm -hmm. this game. That's number one. No, this is where my priorities are. Number two, I think they could have fired me then. I was like, I got can't miss a minute of this game. It's a good game. Yeah, it was a great game as it turned out. So anyway, I go in the office and they said to me, speaking of having no feedback, this was the first feedback I ever got. And the feedback was, uh, they were nice at the beginning. They said, hey, Linda, we know you know sports. We hear you talk about it in the newsroom. Everyone knows it. You have great conversations. You're passionate. You're animated about it. Uh, but we don't hear that enough on the air. You know, we, we want you to be more of that on SportsCenter. And I was like the gut punch. I was so shocked, more so because no one told, like, why did it take you two years to tell me this? I did right. not say that. But it really hit me hard, and I was holding back the tears. And that's a song by Simply Red, I believe. So, you know, I, I was really holding back the tears because I was like, wait, I thought, you, I don't get it. And long story short, 
they, I start after that meeting and I, you know, I was really crying in my car, to be honest with you, on the way home to watch Rangers Devils. And then I was happy because Rangers won a double OT, but I vowed I was going to work really hard to do and implement what they were saying. And then I was able to do so. But I wanted to tell you that story because I'm sure ESPN isn't the only big corporation that doesn't give feedback to its employer, employers. And I just think it's really important not, it may be a different world now, but in your case and other people's cases, I guess it had, not much has changed. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting what you're what you're talking about, Linda, just when you're on air, whether television, radio, whatever, it can be very difficult to gauge how you come across to a viewer. Yeah. Because yes. there, there are things that feel like big energy in your head, in your yes. mind, the type of enthusiasm that they were telling you wasn't translating that I'm sure in the moment as you're doing these broadcasts, you might even be thinking, boy, I better dial it back a little bit before I feel cartoonish. You know what I mean? Like it can be it can be very difficult at times to gauge exactly how energy translates. And, and you know, yeah. the, these layers between you and a listener, you and a viewer, whether TV, radio, whatever, it, you hear all the time that there's no such thing as too big. But when you are doing it live, it can feel like too big. There can be times where, like, oh, Jesus, calm down. Like, you know, like, Dial you, it back, you, you can feel ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And then you get told, you know what? Pick up the energy a little bit. It's like, wow, really? Exactly. Like, and, and here's the thing. It's changed, man. I mean, mm -hmm. now it is go big. But back then, it was measured. Um, yeah. So I was getting a double message there uh, because, you know, what you see is what you get with me. So you see me in real life, you know, in the newsroom or whatever. I'm always, like, passionate about what I'm saying and talking about. Now and in the last 10 years, 15 years, that's a win to be exactly like me, you know, you know, big and, and just hot takes and go all out and rip people. And, you know, when I do my shows on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, that's what I do. I mean, I, you know, I work sometimes at all hours filling in. I mean, I'll never, you know, a couple of, I did a late, I did a show this time of day, you know, at 10 uh, PM Pacific. And it was following, I believe either a Monday night game or a Thursday night NFL game. And, um, I, I couldn't stop ripping the Chargers kicker. Uh, what's his face? Mike uh, Badgley. Yeah, Badgley. Badgley. The, put him in a bag. I, you know, now I, I could, uh, you, you know, he missed an extra point. Did he I, screw I, up another one of your parlays? Is that, was, was that the problem? <laughs> bingo. Bingo. He missed yeah. an extra point and then he hits the upright on a field goal in regulation that would have won it for the poor Justin Herbert and the uh -huh. Chargers before the whole season went to pot. You know what I mean? With you talk about now, so, you talk so, about not getting a lot of feedback yeah, around the, yeah. around ESPN or anywhere else that you work. I tell you, there is one thing that we all knew: don't mess with Linda Cohn's money. <laughs> <laughs> that even, was even like day one dollars. orientation. Yes. You you go to rookie <laughs> camp or whatever in Bristol, and that's what they tell you. Um, she's very nice. Don't mess with her money. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm wondering though, like you've seen, you talk about like this, this whole evolution of how, you know, you know, 90s, you know, 80s sports center, which like it first came on and it's like, it's very different, but it's like, you know, it's Tommy's and it's like, it's, it's looks like sort of, and then you get into the, you know, the, the, the Olbermann revolution and, you know, Kenny Maine, like all this stuff you've seen gone through all that. How hard is it though? especially when you're kind of ping-ponging back now with radio and other things that you do to find the voice that really feels like you're authentic because there are so many other personalities. Do I, do I have to feel like I got to compete with that? Do I have to be bigger, That's smaller? How hard is it to find that authentic yeah, voice? Great point. Early on when I first started and uh, I really, by the way, uh, working with, a, I'm so blessed and grateful that I had that chance to work with the late, great Tom Mees. He was uh, one of my favorites, perhaps the favorite for me. I felt like I modeled myself after him, the way he did highlights, very animated. You didn't see him. The camera wasn't on him. He would do 10-second on-camera lead-ins just to get to the highlight. I love doing highlights the best, like, and, and I modeled myself at him because he was so passionate about the teams that he loved, and uh, he was amazing. So I'm just very lucky that my early days at SportsCenter, 
I got to work like 2 a.m. Saturday shifts with Tom Mees. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound glamorous, but at the time it was fabulous. So um, to answer your question, um, what was your question? Oh, how it's changed? Like you know, just uh, how, you, how it's changed and then how do you find, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. you figure so out what your, your authentic voice is. Right. So then when I got to ESPN, I started in 1992, as I mentioned, and uh, I was fortunate to work a lot of shows with Dan Patrick. And to your point, I was so trying to, I, I stopped being myself. And I was so trying to impress Dan, you mm -hmm. know, with like playing off his stuff or, um, you know, uh, doing these ad libs that didn't make sense, that weren't me, or making up catchphrases that were so fake. Because I really, I also frown upon that. Like I, I, and I'll get to catchphrases in a second. There's a funny story with that, but that's true. And then I, I had to step back from that. I'm like, what am I doing? Cause I'm screwing up these lines. They're not me. It sounds rehearsed. And I really came into my own in sports center when I started being myself, meaning I could just say anything I wanted, ad lib off of highlights. And the, and I feel uh, for me and the, one of the reasons for my longevity and success, besides being able to adapt uh, with working with everyone I've worked with. I've worked with Kenny Mayne. I've worked with Keith. I've worked with Dan. I worked with Rich Eisen. I worked with the late, great Stuart Scott, another amazing person, a mother, Jim. You know, people like that. Besides doing that, I, I didn't really come into my own until maybe five or six years in to my run, till probably the late 90s when I realized, you know what? Linda, just be you and be organic you know, be original. And I never, I, I, the catchphrase thing, that was Dan and Keith, you know, that, that was those guys. And I got caught up in it for a while, but it really wasn't me. I thought what was, what, what the viewers always told me was like, you, we never know what's coming out of your mouth. It's not like we're bracing for your catchphrase. And I like that. I'm glad. Did I you have a particularly bad? Did you have a particularly bad catchphrase well, that you I, remember? A funny story is that you know, back in '08, I wrote this uh, funny look at my journey. Uh, I wrote this book called Conehead: A No Holds Barred Account of Breaking Into the Boys Club. You can probably get it on Amazon for two bucks. But um, in it was a chapter about how I felt it I was. It was, there was a need for me to have a catchphrase, and so back in the day, it probably was late '90s. Uh, Mike Piazza, the great Mike Piazza, was a Met. My fate. I know he was a Dodger first, but he's my Met. He's he's he. Again, I love Mike Piazza. Great, loved him. Amazing, great Met. Embraced the Mets like his own. No offense, Dodger fans, but he's always a Met. So anyway, um, my friend Susie, who lived in North Carolina, was on a softball team, and an adult softball team and they drank a lot. So you got that going on, right? And the name of their team is called, was called Master Batters. Get it? Master Batters. And I do. so, it's okay, good, you're very quick. And so I thought that would be funny. Like when like Mike Piazza or somebody is in the batter's box and hits a home run, I, you know, hits it, right? Mike Piazza, Master Batter. <laughs> and so I said that on SportsCenter. It was repeated about eight times the following morning before they had live shows in the morning. And then uh, my boss at that time, who was overseeing just SportsCenter, the great Norby Williamson, who yes. I referenced in the book. And he's great. I love Norby. And he calls me into his office and he said, what did you say exactly? <laughs> I want to make sure I heard it right. And then I told him the whole story that I just told you. And he's like, I have an idea. Stop doing that. <laughs> and so I stopped. So, you know, that was probably the See, and you said you never get feedback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, it just depends. Please, no yeah. more self-pleasure jokes on yes. SportsCenter. Thank I mean, in fairness to Norby, <laughs> yes. there's a lot of information that the average viewer may not have known <laughs> setting up that joke. Yes, <laughs> like, there's right. A, there's a lot. Yes, it, they like, missed out on that whole softball. Right. On the, on the multiple choice the multiple choice question test, that is E, not enough information given. Like, <laughs> right. A lot of levels that is inside baseball, right? right? Yes, it's just... <laughs> 
so silly stuff. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and, speak, and speaking of the Mets, and this is, gets back to what you were earlier talking about, about how you change about your sports teams and you could love them so much. And so have you ever had a team, maybe it's from St. Louis that you did, you love them so much that what you said out loud, it appears that you're, you dislike them, right? Because you're a fan. Yeah. So I got, I got caught with that as well on SportsCenter because I'd make these sarcastic remarks over my uh, highlights about the pitching staff or, you know, something like this, just like a one little zinger. And I got, uh, I got, um, and I didn't realize I was doing anything wrong because I was speaking for the fan. Mm -hmm. And that was another reason why I feel, uh, and people have told me a long reason why I've, you know, been on SportsCenter so long is because I have represented the fan. I'm the voice of the fan. And that's how I look at things more so. And so I was very volatile verbally uh, in a way toward the Mets pitching staff. I think it was either bullpen or pitching staff, whatever. So long story short, um, I got flowers delivered to my door at, in my home. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I was married at the time. And I know these weren't for my husband. And he admitted that. Then I started to worry about that. But then I looked at the card and it said, uh, to dear Linda, um, thank you so much for showing your appreciation and love, you know, love the New York Mets. Oh, that's awesome. That's True great. story. And I, I was like, oh, my jaw dropped. And I'm like, first I was like, this is great. They know how big a Met fan I am. And then when I found out that Todd Zeal and company were not happy and John Franco were not happy with what I was saying on SportsCenter regarding them. They didn't get the joke. So there's that. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm starting to put this together. Like you and my father-in-law need to spend some time together. Yeah. He is exactly the same. He's a Mets. I mean, you're a, you said you were a Giants we're off, person. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah so, but he, you're Mets off by a team, but he's, yeah, he's Mets. He's Mets, Jets, yeah. Rangers. Oh, so he's sort of like, he should be Islanders with that. When you're a Mets, Jets, you should be New York Islanders. They don't like the Islanders. Okay, well, then they're normal Ranger fans. So right. it's usually Rangers, Giants, Yankees. Yankees was the only team that I did not go, want to go with my dad with. I felt Mets needed my support more. The Yankees did not need my support growing that is up. True. And they still don't. Really, when you think about it. <laughs> and the Mets still do. Right. And the Mets still do. But they now still... the Mets have a new mega billion yeah. dollar CEO and Steve Cohen. I, I've actually, yes. I mean, I'm not that I'm that dialed into like Mets Twitter. You're not? No, I'm not. <laughs> but, well, I, look, we grew up, we grew up St. Louis in the 80s. Uh, I know. I, you know, you guys were the pond scum. But, yes. it, but I have noticed like there's genuine excitement. I've even seen from Mets fans about new ownership and just the idea of hope and optimism and oh yeah we're, we're going to be new. very active in free agency yes mm, yes we're going to compete famous with last the Yankees words. no this is different, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> who is Andy who is it talking we were talking with that we were we were trying to come up with the list of the of the most like just like the the most like masochist of suffering um fans of teams and it's they're all new york teams it's jets fans yes Knicks jets fans mets, Knicks mets fans yeah like they're, like six of the you know the top eight teams are all in new york well, I think it's incredible. what does that tell you that tells you that we care we're passionate we no, it tells me your team suck linda uh, that too <laughs> <laughs> well repetition. i think repetition. i think there's a combination uh, in terms of what makes this so torturous for new york fans it's a combination of what brian's talking about with just a lot of mismanagement with professional uh, sports teams in New York, but also because you are New York, there is this expectation that of course it's all going to be great. And of course we're going to get everybody we want because we're New York. Yeah. Like why wouldn't we? It's like, you know, it's that exceptionalism that exists a lot with New York and frankly, LA teams. And there have been times when it's been justified on both coasts, but I think that's part of what makes it so torturous. Like if you're if you're a Browns fan, that's going to be torturous. But at the same time, it's like, look, we're Cleveland. Like our our ceiling is only going to go so high. Like I mean, and we know this. If we're being honest with ourselves, we know that there's an element of Cleveland that's holding us back. That unless we have some accident of birth miracle like LeBron, 
You know, right. There's a pretty heavy lift for us ahead. But New York? Like, it never should feel like that with New York. Here's the deal with New York and L.A. and why people can't stand our teams, by the way, on the outside, you know, is because this is why we have to have everything work out perfectly, because we're competing with so many other things out there. I mean, L.A., if you're not, you know, if you're L.A., uh, I don't have to tell you how sports fans are. You know, they're distracted by sunshine here. Uh, you know, in New York, it's Broadway. It's everything else. It's it's great eating. It's staying up all night. I mean, it's. It's amazing. So we have to be good. Well, Our I, sports teams have to be great to get the attention from these other things. I will tell you, though, like you, we were talking before about like how things have changed, how you look at sports differently. One of the things that I, I find myself, maybe it's because I got kids now and they're younger or whatever it might be. I just I don't have the space to be as sort of cynical. Like, you, you know, you go through your 20s and 30s and you want hot takes and you like you, whatever it might be. One of the things I love both about the Dodgers championship this year and the Lakers is that they were they were built on positive things that happened. You know, LeBron plays incredibly. Anthony Davis asks for this challenge to come to LA and go win a title and actually rises to the occasion and and elevates himself into this upper echelon of players. You see like Clayton Kershaw gets through this game like, that he's got to get through the World Series to win like as a, I mean, look, last year the image of him in the dugout. I mean, that's it's crushing. It's a, it's an amazing sports story, but I, I'm at the point now where I want people to go win things rather than have them lose stuff. And like, I think that made this year's LA championship teams easily as likable as any that we've ever had. I mean, like outside of LA, like these were likable teams. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> I think, go I on all right listen i mean i hear from people like country bowlers. folk like you i understand yeah, in the farm with the cows and the horses uh I, I disagree because people on the outside just think the lakers and uh the dodgers i know i listen i was too happy for clayton kershaw and dave roberts one of the nicest yeah, humans ever okay um but hey they went out and they paid all that money for Mookie Betts and they got him. And, you know, that's the argument. They're like, I know other teams, you would say, well, oh, he could have got other teams could have went and traded for now that only the Dodgers could afford to pay that salary. Okay. So to the outside, let's take the Dodgers, the outside, they're like, no, that's and, and don't even get me started on the Lakers with LeBron. And, and, and the well, way like and all Anthony, Mookie Betts does Anthony is spread Davis. joy around the world. Oh, like he's right. the most joyous player ever. Let me tell you. And Anthony, the whole thing with LeBron and Davis and all that stuff, you know, Davis screwed his old team. He just like, remember when he, the way he left with New Orleans? It was like, get me the hell out of here. He was wearing shorts. You know what? Those, the, the Pelicans I mean, are know, actually, but they're in a know. great place now. I mean, this was actually a win win trade. You know, Brandon Ingram's going to be, I think, a really good player. I was high on him since his rookie year when it wasn't showing up in his stats. Lonzo and Josh Hart are at minimum solid rotation guys. They got draft picks. Okay. It's already, you already lost me. It's not true. I mean, you're just. <laughs> what is true? You know what? Davis and, is, hold on. And back up for a second. I'm still about this Mookie player. Betts thing. <laughs> no, no, no. You know who they stole Mookie Betts from? This little upstart mom and pop shop called the Boston Red Sox. I'm supposed yes. to feel sorry for those people? Come no, on. I didn't. But you you can't paint this picture like the Dodgers are all homegrown and, you know, and all that. I'm just telling you. I'm giving you perspective. Uh, Andy, what were you saying? I'm sorry. Well, I, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, I'm not making the claim that, you know, Brandon Ingram is thus far the best player Absolutely. that the Pelicans got from uh, that deal. Correct. That's I'm great. not saying that he's as good as Anthony Davis. I'm not even saying that he will end up as good as Anthony Davis, which no, is why won't. from the Lakers perspective, you make that deal 10 times out of 10. My point is, though, there's a chance that for the Pelicans, this doesn't end up an incredibly lopsided deal. That often is the case where you have to move the superstar, where you know, where the proverbial gun to your head as an organization, you have no yes. choice but to do this. The Pelicans, I actually think, came out of this pretty well, in part because you know, Rob Palinka was in a position where he was trading from kind of a position of disadvantage. Yeah. You know, the, the the trade deadline the season before had gone so sideways for both of these teams, but from the Lakers' perspective, they kind of had no choice but to make this happen. Well, so, I will say this. I was so impressed, and you touched on it before, 
that he, first of all, he stayed healthy. And yeah. then number two, uh, you know, of course, you know, LeBron was the MVP, but I'm sorry, Davis without, you know, it goes without saying, but I have to say it. Davis brought out the best in LeBron. I mean, mm -hmm. so many, so much. And all that pressure wasn't on him. And for them to do it, I mean, first of all, the first year LeBron hurt, obviously not Lakers non-factor didn't make the playoffs. And then to bring in Davis and then they instantly win a title and stay focused when yeah. everyone wanted it, we're rooting against them as, as early as the opening round against Portland. And I think I was one of those people because I just <laughs> wanted some excitement. I wanted like, do we have to, can the first round in an NBA playoff for a change be exciting? No, See, apparently cannot. Nathan but, Mark, you know, our friend from earlier in the show brings up a great point, Linda here. You got to remember the history and the context. Anthony Davis came to a bad lottery team down in the dumps and they won a title. They weren't even in the playoffs last year, Linda. It's a great rags to riches story. Keep that spin Lakers. going. Keep the spin going. <laughs> LeBron, LeBron had only been to that point in eight of the nine previous finals, right. something like that. I mean, this, I mean, the Lakers were this little engine that could, Linda. I'm yeah. surprised you haven't up with I, it. I Why do you hate there. the underdog? I get, yeah, right. <laughs> But, okay, yeah, before, before we get to this game that Brian has set up, I, I know yes. I wanted to Ooh, ask you. Good. Oh, yeah. We have a game. I, I In honor of you. Oh, wow. I actually didn't know this about you until I was doing a little bit of research that you grew up playing hockey. Yes. And that you were actually a goalie. You played in college. Um, I, played in, at, I played on the boys. I made the boys team in high school. That's right. awesome. I was a that's goalie. Right. right. And then, and I, then I played with played hockey with women for the first time in college. It was one of the reasons my, why I went to Oswego State. My junior and senior year, side note, we don't have to derail the story. Our goalie was uh, was also a girl. That's so great. It was very, very cool. Nice. Yes. Andy, go on. Yes, Andy, I just, go on. I, I guess uh, what was that experience like for you in terms of women's, women's college hockey? I'm actually really curious about that because it's not something that you actually hear about a lot. But from what I was reading – your program was really serious. Like this was a big deal at your school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, uh, again, I'll date myself, but it was a long time ago. I mean, I, I love playing. I love watching hockey with my dad. I played street hockey with the boys when I was 12, 13, 14. I didn't even know how to ice skate. My mother uh, was amazing. She found this rink, um, a league that let girls play with boys, but I was only one of three girls and girls were only allowed to play with boys that were like five years younger than them. So I was 14 when I started. I played with eight-year-old boys. And I had and, and I bring always bring this up because that kind of hearing the whisper, I had to learn how to block out the noise, meaning right. people talk what, what first of all, A, there's a girl with a ponytail, you know, sticking out of her bottom, you know, behind the mask there. What's that? Is that a girl? And why is she? Well, she should be babysitting my child. Why is she playing on his team? Right. I mean, I'm like five years older, you know, and then I, you know, then I got better and better. And then I was up to 12 year old boys and then I was 15. And, you know, this is the kind of thing. And then I tried and then my uh, high school team had a, a boys team. And, you know, I tried on my junior year, didn't make it, um, but I came close. And then my senior year, I made it. I was the backup goalie, started eight games, mop up duty, the whole thing better than the senior prom, which I did not attend because I only could, I only wanted to go to the senior prom if it was with a high school quarterback or with a, you know, star hockey player who was my teammate. That didn't happen. That's oh, awkward. well. So I didn't go. I mean, I just didn't go, but playing hockey was my thing. And then, um, it was important blocking out the noise and being mm -hmm. around men and young men. And, um, and it really prepared me. It, it I had grew thick layers of skin, so to speak to handle the business that I got in on, got into when everyone was talking behind my back or talking about what's she doing here? Why is she giving me the sports? Why get this girl out of here? You know, again, pre-social media, all this kind of stuff, but playing hockey prepared me as best as it could being in a man's world and being like, and hearing the whispers and hearing it sometimes louder than a whisper. Do you, uh, we talk a lot about you know, the influence that seeing, you know, young, young girls and women seeing women like you, or, you know, people like Ramona, people that, that become prominent in sports journalism yeah. as an entry point into that seeing, Oh, I can do that as well. Do you think that influences how they play sports too? Like not just covering it, but also 
being able to participate or, or, or in, in, in things like oh, that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, well, I think ESPN has done an amazing job of that overall, you know, by really paying attention to, a, they probably should do a better sport. They're getting there, but covering women, more women's sports, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but um, uh, I think the fact that whether it's uh, Ramona, uh, me, or whoever is, you know, um, delivering the sports, uh, it gets young girls and girls and young women interested in sports to see, wow, that woman really knows her sports. And this sounds interesting to me. And so there could be different layers of grabbing an emotional connection to playing a sport or perhaps just being a huge sports fan. I just think it's such a great, we're in such a great world right now in sports for women. They're getting opportunities mm -hmm. to prove themselves. Um, that never happened when I was going getting through this. I mean, you really had to knock down some doors, have backup plans, so to speak. But now it's like, you know, and now women are competing against other women for these jobs. That's cool. I mean, I, I will say like, the, I, I find it the amount of men that will just go to the mattresses for Doris Burke, for example. And, and like yeah. when they watch, I mean, oh, I, she's amazing. that's because she's incredible at what she does. You know, she should, she should be yeah. a head coach. I've always told her that I, for about a few years, I did some WNBA play by play and got to know Doris really well. And, uh, I told her and that, at that time she wasn't doing any, she was just doing some, uh, mostly women's sports stuff, color and some sideline. And I said, you would be great on men's games. And, you know, and then they instituted that. And first she was on the sideline on men's games, and now she's in the booth on men's games, yeah. you know? It's just, great. it's that's one of the most incredible rises to the top and watching a person be where she belongs mm -hmm. that I've ever seen at ESPN. Well, I will say one of my favorite things that anybody at ESPN has ever done was that the Katie Nolan bit with um, Carrie Champion and, uh, God, who else was I in that? Sarah Spain. Sarah Spain was in it. How are we going to ruin sports for men today? Um, oh, where they're all around, and it ends oh. with them, and it's a picture of Doris Burke above the fireplace, <laughs> like 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 they're as, they're they're oracle. They're, as their oracle. It is. That's you've funny. never seen that? I'll email no, to you. I'm, I'm really. It's I'm, so funny. Yeah, it's I'm, really I'm funny. Sure it's very it well done. That's great. Um, but I don't like to. I don't, most of my friends are men, so I don't. I don't like. <laughs> little skits like that maybe I, it didn't cross my mind of like it's all in fun but alienating or making right. it about males and females mm -hmm. that's fair enough that's how i that's how you know i got you know got this far doing this i don't care who i alienate with this statement though after learning about your background with uh oswego screw yeah. plattsburgh oh screw i almost went guys. there i well, almost you know went what? To, they didn't have a hockey team what well, they do team. now, they, 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 I, know. I was reading about this became a big deal. Uh, yeah. Plattsburgh, or you guys would say, uh, you guys would say Pittsburgh, Puck, 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 Plattsburgh. yeah. Mm -hmm. Plattsburgh. My brother That's... went to Plattsburgh, by the way, a few years no, younger. Puck that guy. To, yeah, <laughs> Plattsburgh. I wanted to go there because it was close to Montreal where I always wanted to play hockey and live. McGill University, I, um, when I found out you had like a four, needed a 4.0. Uh, that, that, that idea ended <laughs> well, quickly. I was, I was, I found it the whole thing, like with the, uh, the, the thing that used to go on where they would throw tennis balls onto the ice, uh, to torment you guys whenever they scored. And then you guys turned around and threw bagels on Ooh, the ice. Yes. To torment them. And then unfortunately, like, I guess what a like, waste of bagels. that seems like a waste of a bagel. Yeah. Bagels. And then apparently I bagels. It, like, I think you, <laughs> it led to like a penalty situation where they scored on you guys. And then that ended up uh, going out. Look the at you with your little research. Well, I done. did. Just, well, Linda, it's you. I'm not uh, going to waste your time. <laughs> right. Amazing. Really? If I'm going to stay up late with you guys. I exactly. that. We're talking exactly. to a, two, a double hall of famer here. Oh, you know? that's right. I, yeah. Also, I'm also in the Jewish Hall of Fame. That's you know the, that? we're, that's the two we were counting: the National Sports no, Media Association and the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. Neither and of I've which will let Oswego us in. Oswego State, also a sports Hall of Fame. Ooh, so, wow. so I'm sorry, research three <laughs> halls okay. of fame. But we are only <laughs> eligible for two of those, and they're not letting us in. So how do you well, keep track of all those jackets, Linda? Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> What jackets? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's do this. In honor of Linda Cohn, we have a game that I have entitled Name That Cone. Oh, um, nice. So it's it's either a, a person named Cone, C-O-N-E, Cone, C-O-H-N, or something that has the word Cone in it. 
Ooh, um, this is okay. You're so good with these games. Yes. Well, that may not be true. <laughs> All right. So your name is your buzzer. So if you think you know the answer, you shout out your name, and then I will call on you, and you will get. Do points. I do, do I shout out Linda or Cone? What do I shout? Either out? one. Okay. But don't don't shout out Andy, basically. All right. Then I won't know. Okay. Um, so, and then there will there are bonus questions for some of these, depending on who gives. So if you get it right, you might have an opportunity to get a bonus question. Don't count question. on it. Don't All count right. on it. Okay. So here we go. Question number one of name that cone. She played Natalie on the Facts of Life. Andy. Andy. Mindy. Well, Linda. That is correct, Linda, but yeah. you also didn't buzz my, in. Oh, Andy God. did, and okay. Andy gets to oh, say. Oh, Andy has to play this game? Yeah, oh, yeah. Both. I thought you were just testing me. No, okay. I, no, it's both of you. I'm sorry. I should have, <laughs> I should have made that more clear. <laughs> no, it's late. I, my brain isn't functioning. I, Go ahead. I believe, I believe it's Mindy. That yeah. is true. Mindy Cohn is the answer I to that knew question. That, yeah, you heard what I said. Well done. Right. Oh, I, I did know. But, right. <laughs> of course you did. Question yes. number two. Over the course of his 17-year career, this right-hander pitched for Linda. five. Linda. David. David Cohn is the correct answer. Now, bonus question. Oh, he pitched for five major league teams. For a bonus point, can you name them? Kansas City, mm -hmm. Yankees, Mets. Yes. yes. Um, I will just guess the final two, and I will say um, uh, I will be wrong because I have no idea. I will not even guess. Blue Jays and Red Sox. Oh, I was going to say Red Sox. I would never would have gotten the Blue Jays. Wow, okay. that's a tough bonus question. Yeah, well, I'm not just giving said, away points. I'm not giving away points here, Linda. three of the five. You know, that's the true. I could have. Okay. All right. <laughs> it is uh, the cone here. Uh, what is the name of the cone scene in this picture here? Andy. Andy. Cone of shame. That is the cone of shame. That is exactly wow, right. When the dog I... has to wear the cone, yes, it is well the cone done. of shame. Well uh, how do done. I turn this off? Do I hit it again? Please. I'm going to have nightmares with that. Andy, picture. for your bonus point, <laughs> can you name the movie and the character wearing the cone of shame? No, I can't. I cannot remember the name of the dog. Uh -huh. um, oh, my God. I'm blanking now on the movie. Is it, is it up? It is up. But you okay, I can't remember it. the name of the dog. Uh, Another Doug. tough question. Doug, yeah. Doug the dog? Doug. Doug is the name yeah. of the dog. It's great. Uh, this cone is known for writing a song that left him walking in what Tennessee Linda. city? Linda. Memphis. What Tennessee city? Memphis is exactly right. For a bonus point, who is this cone? Mark. Mark Cone. Linda takes a 3-2 lead and named that cone. That. I told you I know music sometimes. Mm -hmm. These can stay in a tree for more than 10 years before finally Andy. falling to Andy. Oh, Pine, cone. Pine cones. Is, this is nice. really tight. Three to three. This is very tight. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> Don't get nervous, Linda. I am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> These games do often make our guests very nervous. Yeah. Um, this now ubiquitous object was invented in 1940 by Paul Scanlon, a Los Angeles street painter who, unimpressed by traditional wooden tripods, uh, thought of a better way to divert motorists around wet paint. Andy? Andy. Oh. Traffic cones? Traffic cones oh, is the correct wow. answer. Well invented done. by Paul Scanlon in 1940. Andy, 4-3. Wow. I know. Who knew? There were so many cones. I know. This Infamous Cone was best known for being Joe McCarthy's chief counsel. Andy. Andy. Roy Cone. Roy Cone, as well Very as his smart. fixer. Yes. Yeah. So Andy now with a five to three count. lead. All right, Linda, you're running out of questions. Don't. Okay. All right, here we go. Before this was invented at the 1904 World's Fair. Yes. Baskin Robbins, they just ask you, do you want it in a cup or a cup? Linda. Linda. Uh, Waffle cone. What goes in the waffle cone? Oh, ice cream cone. Ice cream. That is correct. The ice cream cone. <laughs> You're being kind. Thank you. I am. Now, for your bonus point, Linda, can you name the three most common kinds of ice cream cone, the actual cone? What are the three you could order? Okay. Sugar. Yes. Waffle. Yes. Wafer. No, the wafer is the little cookie that goes in. Andy, do you know what the other one is? Waffle and sugar were named? Yes. Yes. Sugar. I didn't know there was another one. <laughs> cake, <laughs> cake, cake. Oh, the cake cone. The cake cone. I never yes. had that. I had no idea. Yes, you have. You just don't realize it has a name. I wish I had it now. 
<laughs> a cake cone is the kind. If you ever get a, you ever get a soft serve at McDonald's. Like rectangular looking. One. I try not to go yeah. through that drive-through, but if I did, yes. Yes, that's the McDonald's. at soft serve is served in a cake cone. That's okay, that. I shape. did not know that. There you go. Um, all right, two more. Often confused with a chili dog, this type of hot dog is a fixture in Detroit and other places around Michigan. Andy? Sounds like it would be from New York, Andy. Nathan Cohn? Nope. Um, Free shot for you, Linda. Uh, can you repeat the question? Sure. Often confused <laughs> with a chili dog. It's a type of chili dog, really. This type of hot dog is a fixture in Detroit and other places around Michigan. I don't know. The answer is a Coney dog. So Andy, going a Coney dog. That's right. Going into the last question, Andy has a five to four lead. But Linda, I have excellent news. This question is worth two. Just totally randomly. More pressure, Andy. Okay. Are you ready? (laughs) No. Go ahead. (laughs) This 1977 Saturday Night Live sketch about a family of aliens. Linda. Uh, Andy. That would be the Coneheads. That would be the Coneheads. Andy wins. Do you want? I thought no, I jumped in. See no, how competitive you I were am? just a little late. Oh! <laughs> Could you have gotten the bonus points by naming the uh, the three actors who played the uh, the most prominent Coneheads? Dan Aykroyd, yes. uh, Gilda Radner, and Steve Martin. Close. Jane Curtin. Oh, Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin and uh, Lorraine right. Newman. Oh, and Lorraine Newman. Yeah, so yes. I would have lost double. So other than the missing that was very two of the three. You, good job. You did well. You did well. well. This was fun. That was a good one. Yeah. That was, that was Brian, you're forth. brilliant as always with your games. <laughs> you got to come up with something good. And, that was and great. Don't, that was don't, my first just because game. you lost, Linda, That's does great. not mean you need to wear the cone of shame Thank for the rest you. of the I, evening. I frown. I'm a big dog lover, and it's always sad. Look how sad he looks. He well, says, I do, not like the cone of, cone of shame I do not like the cone of shame, he says. I do not like the cone of shame, he says. Doug, though. Great name for a dog. Oh, I love that movie. Dog, I love that movie. Doug the dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. You are an incredibly generous human being for giving up one of your off fun. nights and staying up late with us to do this. Um, thank you so much. Again, you find you on you find you on SportsCenter. We find you on SportsCenter. Of course, uh, Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio. When the NHL season's around, you do stuff for Sirius with them too, right? Right. As a matter of fact, we're doing some off-season shows Saturdays oh, awesome. at 4 Eastern. Yes, uh, on Sirius XM NHL 91. Uh, so there's that. Um, so, yeah, so... You can find me. Just follow me on socials, you know, at Linda Cohn, and you'll know when the heck I'm on anywhere. Um, Tomorrow, uh, Sabrina Merchant is going to come on talking about uh, the Lakers and her time on Jeopardy with Alex Trebek, who, of course, passed away. Was it last night or this morning? I think it was this morning. No, I think it was actually over the weekend. Over the weekend. Yeah, yesterday Um, morning, actually. Melissa Merritt's the uh, author of All Right, All Right, All Right. The uh, uh, oral history of Dazed and Confused is Wednesday. And I'm so so excited about that. Classic. uh, Classic. You love Dazed and Confused. This book comes out November 17th. Highly recommended. It is fantastic. Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic on Thursday. Again, Linda Cohn, thank you so much for doing this. This is a ton of fun. Continued, uh, and uh, continued success, guys. I'm really big you. fans, and this was thank so much fun. Thank Thanks for the laughs. Very we'll much. We'll see everyone tomorrow night. Yeah. We need a lot.